I mean, we, we all think of our vote as being the thing we do once every few years at an election. Actually, we vote several times a day. Whenever we buy something, whether we buy it in a shop or buy it online or whatever, we are making a vote for the kind of planet we want our kids to live on, okay? So we are voting for either a toxic world or a clean world. Whenever we buy a product, if that product is toxic, then we're be bequeathing to our children more poison in their world and in ours. For the first time, we're communicating with one another around the planet. And, and that communication means we are evolving as a species. We're starting to think as a species, to learn as a species, to share knowledge and wisdom as a species. You're listening to Food Integrity Now with your host, Carol Gervais. everyone. Welcome to Food Integrity Now. I am Carol Gravet and I am the host of the show. Today I have with me Julian Cribb. Julian is a journalist, an author, and a science communicator. His career includes appointments as scientific editor for the Australian newspaper, director of national awareness for the Australian Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, editor of several newspapers, a member of numerous scientific boards and advisory panels, and president of the National Professional Bodies for Agricultural Journalism and Science Communication. His works include over 9,000 articles, 3,000 science media releases, and 10 books. Today, we're going to be talking with him about his latest book, Earth Detox. Julian, welcome to Food Integrity Now. Thank you, Carol. Well, I'm really happy to have you on the show today to discuss your recent book, Earth Detox. And I'd like to start out with, you have a quote on the cover by Jeffrey Holland, in which he says, starkly engaging, beautifully written, and deeply unnerving. I would have to agree with him on that, but I would add one more descriptive, and that would be well-researched, which is really important to me. I was unnerved by the information you provided, but I don't really consider that a bad thing. Uh, it's always important to know the truth, and then we can make wise choices around that truth. But I'd also like our listeners to know that we are going to talk about some of the solutions that you offer in the book. So hang in there with us. So let's get started. In the first chapter entitled Chemical Avalanche, in one of the subtopics in that chapter, you talk about eating garbage. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what this means? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, basically, society produces about 11 billion tonnes of garbage every single year, which it buries in landfills uh, or it throws in the river and they float down to the sea and we get a sea full of plastic. So these things tend to come back and bite us. Um, the landfills leach. So the nasty chemicals, in especially old urban landfills that were built 50 years ago or more, 
they just leak out the bottom and the chemicals go into the water table. They get into the river, you know, they get into the groundwater under the city. People pull them up again as drinking water. You know, you can't escape these things. Once they're in circulation, they're moving around the environment. So <clears throat> they're not safely locked. Once they're down in a landfill or something like that, they will escape and they will recirculate and they will affect human lives. Yes. So what about electronics and things like that, that we maybe don't recycle responsibly? How does that affect us? Well, in many places around the world, in the third world, uh, used to be Giyu in China, but Agbog Bloshi in, Uganda, in, in Africa, West Africa, places like that where they literally melt down old computers and, and phones and things like that. They're creating horrific pollution. And the point about my book is that all this pollution is now in circulation. All the chemicals that humans produce and unleash every single year, that's about 200 billion tonnes of them, are in circulation in the air, in the water, in wildlife, in food. Uh, you know, it, they're absolutely everywhere around us and you can't get rid of them. Even if your government has the strongest laws for clean, green products, um, it can't protect you because you're importing stuff and this, it's blowing in on the wind and it's coming in with water or water's been used to produce food and so on. So, you know, we are living in a terrible swamp of man-made chemicals that have really only happened in the last 60 or 70 years. Wow. Uh, I found this fascinating. Total human chemical emissions are in the range of 15 to 25 tons per person per year, which contrasts with six tons of climate emission. What does this mean and why is this so important to know? Well, we all talk about climate change and it is a very disturbing phenomenon, but chemical emissions are five to six times larger than our climate emissions. And we are also killing 10 to 12 million people which is the worst act of mass homicide in human history, much worse than World War II, World War I, uh, the Stalinist or, or Mao Zedong massacres in, in China and uh, Russia or the Soviet Union. So, you know, basically there's, there's this stealth um, holocaust going on, uh, taking lives constantly, takes 25,000 lives every single day due to air pollution, um, contaminated food, contaminated water, contaminated environments. Our, our bedrooms and our sitting rooms are full of these chemicals. We inhale them with every breath. So, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a silent disaster. Um, but, and as I say, it, it, it's much bigger than climate change in, in quantum, um, and it's much more deadly. It's about 10 times more deadly than climate change at the moment, though climate change may become more deadly in time. So, you know, it's, it's a real concern and it's slipping under the radar. That's the point. We have a little bit of concern about, you know, what some chemicals may get into the local river. Governments want to clean up this and that, but we have no image of the big problem. And that's what we need to have to understand the problem and to solve it. We need to understand what it's like, where it's coming from and how to control it. Wow, well said. You also say, for the first time in Earth's history, a single species, ourselves, is poisoning the planet. Yeah, the, we are a single species. I mean, there was a there was a bad time about two billion years ago um, when when uh, 
the, uh, the, the bacteria that started to produce oxygen poisoned the planet with oxygen, actually. And, and the, the non-oxygen loving bacteria took a really bad hit and they almost got wiped out. But you know, we are descended from the oxygen loving bacteria, obviously. Um, so, uh, you know, that was an occasion when a whole lot of different species combined to contaminate the atmosphere with a particular chemical uh, that was toxic to life as it was then. Um, so there's never been another species that has emitted chemicals on a scale compared, comparable to ours, especially the really poisonous stuff, the stuff that poisons our brains and nerves and things like that, the things that, that poisons children in the womb um, and the milk of their mothers and things like that. that, that that's, a, that's a really critical situation. Yeah, we're going to talk about a few of those. Uh, you also say worldwide, it is estimated that there are more than 10 million potentially contaminated sites. Uh, 3.5 million of those are in Europe. The word contaminated, uh, it does imply that there's a distinct boundary to that danger zone. Why is that not true? Well, again, because the chemicals can escape very easily, mainly through groundwater. So they leach into the soil. They get caught up in the groundwater. The groundwater flows in, in all directions, you know, but generally groundwater ends up in the local river. <clears throat> so, um, you know, the chemicals will go into the, into the local river eventually uh, where the, 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 the site die, uh, dries out. The dust will get blown around on the wind and the dust contains particles of the toxic chemicals. So, you know, it'll be circulating through the atmosphere to the people in, in nearby homes and things like that. So there's lots of ways it can escape. Any wildlife going through the contaminated site will pick up the contamination. It will concentrate up the food chain uh, and top predators will have it. And I mean, if you want an example of that, for example, uh, polar bears are carrying a huge uh, load of mercury. That mercury came out of our coal-fired power stations. It's been lofting into the, into the atmosphere for, uh, for decades, um, and it's been falling over the Arctic and, and poisoning polar bears. So that's an example of how these things just spread around the planet. You cannot keep them in one place. Wow. You asked this question in Chapter 3, are you a contaminated site? Can you speak for a bit about polluted people? And then you talk about uh, CDC did a national survey of 2,500 Americans that covered 337 substances um, uh, that were suspected toxic. And I think there are some 86,000 chemicals sanctions for use in the US. Let's talk about the question you said, are you a contaminated site? Well, the short answer is that if you could take anybody on earth, doesn't matter who they are or how remotely they live, and if you analyze their blood, their urine, their hair, uh, et cetera, their liver, you will find that they are carrying man-made chemicals. And they carry them from the moment of conception, not just birth, from conception to death. Uh, they absorb more and more. Some of these things do them no harm, but some of them combine into toxic loads and, and poison them. And we're particularly concerned with that effect on children, growing children, because their brains and their central nervous systems are developing. Um, now, the US, as I say, CDC has a very good survey, which they do every year, where they, they sample two or 3,000 Americans. And every single one of these surveys has found 
you know, 80, 90, very close to 100% of the population is contaminated with a large, a large number of chemicals, not just one or two, but hundreds. Uh, and, you know, other countries should do, should do likewise. Unfortunately, that survey is very hard to read um, for, for a layperson. Uh, I, I think it's uh, deliberately made difficult to read so that people don't get scared by it. Um, but really, it's revealing that, that every American is, is a contaminated site. And, and why not? Because you know, you use pesticides and, and cleaning chemicals around your home. Um, you've used, there have been pesticides used all through your, your food supply, agriculture and, and so forth. Um, all the, uh, the furnishings and the paint and, and things like that in your home is emitting vapours. The plastics in your cars are emitting toxic vapours. Uh, so you, you're living bathed in these things all the time. So it's quite likely. And, and of course, when you get up in the morning, you put shampoo on your hair, look on the back of the bottle and see what chemicals are in your shampoo. You know, that's just the start of your day. In the course of your day, if you're an American or an Australian or a Canadian, you'll probably be exposed to something like 10,000 different chemicals. Wow. Well, you mentioned, you know, you start your day and you shower and you bathe yourself in these chemicals and... You know, I, I'm always surprised that there are many people that don't even think of that to look at, you know, what they're putting on their body, their soaps, their, their deodorants, their bath gels, their lotions, uh, and cosmetics, you know, and we know cosmetics is a $700 billion a year industry, and they, they don't want to expose what's really in these. It's the fine print on the back. But I will say that uh, you can, I mean, this is a little bit of a solution early on, but why not, right? <laughs> is that there, there are sites you can go to, like the EWG, Environmental Working Group, and you can look up your product and see how it stacks up. And you can find alternatives to use. And, and you know, that's just... We know we can't get rid of all the chemicals in our body, but for me, it's about doing the best we can to clean up our bodies and just one step at a time. Yeah, it, it's quite difficult at the moment. If you're a consumer, you, know, you walk down the aisle at the supermarket or the clothing store for that matter, you don't know what chemicals are in the products that you're buying. Um, and you have to do quite a lot of hard research to find out. Fortunately, people like EWG, the, the, um, the Breast Cancer Foundation and people like that are doing some of the research for us. I mean, there's been a lot of pressure applied by the US Breast Cancer Foundation to large cosmetics uh, brands. And the large cosmetics brands, the worldwide, the famous ones, are starting to clean up their act in response to consumer pressure from right. women who don't want to get breast cancer. Right. You know, so so it, we can clean them. We can clean these companies up, you know, but we have to apply the pressure to do, to apply the pressure. We have to have the information and it's getting the information. That is the tricky bit at the moment because industry covers its tracks very, very well. And I have to say that, um, you know, Europe and America are in stark contrast. Yep. If you look at the food in America, uh, something like two to 4,000 different chemicals used in the food chain there. In Europe, it's more like 600. You know, so the Europeans ban a whole lot of things that are commonly used in American food. Um, same thing with, with personal care products. Uh, you know, all, a lot of the chemicals in, in, in American cosmetics 
uh, are banned in Europe, you know, hundreds of them. So, you know, clearly some people, are, you know, some governments are setting out to clean up their act, but others are just sort of, you know, basically they're, they're doing it for the industry rather than for the consumer. Uh, so, you know, we, we need to get the consumer's voice heard in this one. Right. I totally agree. And if we don't buy it, we, you know, we vote with our dollars and we demand something better, they'll make it. You make a very good point. And I think people don't realize their, their power. I mean, we, we all think of our vote as being the thing we do once every few years at an election. Actually, we vote several times a day. <laughs> Whenever we buy true. something, <laughs> Whenever we buy something, whether we buy it in a shop or buy it online or whatever, we are making a vote for the kind of planet we want our kids to live on, okay? So we are voting for either a toxic world or a clean world. Whenever we buy a product, if that product is toxic, then we're be bequeathing to our children more poison in their world and in ours. Uh, but these chemicals don't go away. That's the point. They, they keep on circulating. They keep on recombining with other chemicals. They never go away. All right. Industry would like you to think that you use a fly spray once and it's gone. It's not. It's there forever. So, you know, the, the, the chemicals may change their shape. They may break down. They may recombine with other chemicals, but they're still there. The atoms are still there. So, you know, these things are a curse on coming generations by us if we do not remove them and as i say we can remove them every time we buy anything there is a chemical signal sent out to the world right whatever whatever we buy has a chemical footprint everything absolutely everything even if it's you know something like a movie or, or uh, you know something of that nature it nevertheless has a chemical footprint at some point along its pathway so we need to control that chemical footprint and make sure it's a clean, green, safe, healthy footprint, not a poisonous one. Yes. Well, I think we've uh, gotten ourselves in this mess. You know, there's a lot of different ways we've allowed it um, because I don't feel like we're victims. We have choice in what we want to buy and, and what we put on our body. But I think that we have given up a lot because of convenience and wanting things now and fast. And that's kind of the way our world is. And uh, we're getting sicker and sicker. Let's discuss, because I'm really concerned about the children. Let's discuss uh, the topic that you discuss in your book about the BPA babies. Yeah, well, as I explained, children are exposed to uh, man-made chemicals from the moment of conception. And if you test the blood in the, in the, um, you know, the cord, and when they come out of, uh, you know, out of the mother's womb, they're loaded with industrial chemicals. Many of them are carcinogens. So these children are born already with the potential for cancer in their blood. And they've got that through their mother who got it from her household furniture or from living in a big polluted city. And we know that these things cause damage because there's been a study done in the US among nurses um, of autism in their children. And it was found that nurses who live near a freeway where they're inhaling lots of horrible chemicals from you know, the exhausts of vehicles uh, are uh, much more, twice as likely to have an autistic child. 
So autism may be an example of, of a, a brain disease that has been brought on by overexposure to toxic chemistry. So, you know, we need to start looking at these things and asking ourselves, what is going on here? I mean, do we really want a generation of brain damaged children? Because that's what we're creating. Um, you know, the, the, the rates of, of brain disorder and developmental disorder among children today are off the scale compared to where they were when I was growing up, um, you know, and that's 70 years ago. So, so, you know, we live in a very alarming world now, which we've taken no account of, all of these things surrounding us. And we've got to start doing it. In the same way we had to tackle climate, we've been talking about climate now for nigh on 50 years uh, and doing very little about it, I might add, but we have got to take the same approach to the, uh, to the inundation of humanity and the planet with chemistry. Yeah. Well, back to BPA for a second. You reference a two-year study that was in, uh, done by independent labs in Canada and the U.S. and the Netherlands where they, they found um, BPA in nine out of 10 umbilical cords. But they also found traces of explosives and rocket fuels. I mean, that's crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, that's the CDC finding that they find rocket fuel in, I think, 90% of Americans. And what, what would you expect to find in Americans? Rocket fuel, of course. But, but uh, how does it get there is the interesting question. The theory is they keep a lot of rocket fuel on military bases or space bases or whatever. The drums leak, it goes into the groundwater and people in the nearby cities drink it. Uh, so, you know, it's not a it's a toxic chemical, but it's only in very small doses, basically. But nevertheless, everybody takes it in and everybody or nearly everybody, you know, uh, exhibits it if they're tested for it. So it's an example of a toxic chemical that is just just about everywhere in the United States. It's not everywhere in Australia, I'm glad to say, or in other countries that are less prone to make rockets. Um, but nevertheless, it's a it, it's a concern. And, you know, hexavalent um, chrome is, is another one, you know, um, the Hinkley, the, Hink, the thing that, that, that created the Hinkley disaster uh, is, is common in, in United States cities, in the water supplies of most of the cities of the United States have got hexavalent chromium in them. And that's a very toxic chemical and that's a very uncomfortable finding. So you've got these things, you know, absolutely everywhere very very hard i mean you'd think if you drank tap water you'd be fairly safe you know but you're not you know? yeah. uh, so, so no, not here <laughs> yeah and you're even less safe if you if you drink soft drinks and and uh, <laughs> all these industrial industrialized things but the industrial food system has has a lot to answer for in this uh, I, I mean I, I hate to say this but the us really does have one of the worst food systems in the world just in terms of the things that get added in the production process, in the process, uh, the processing and manufacturing of the food, you know, it, it really is a, an absolute chemical mess. Um, and it's being ingested by, you know, 300 plus million Americans every day. So, you know, we, we've got to clean up the food supply. That, that's absolutely des desperately urgent. Wow. Not just America, but every other country that has copied the American system of food production. Yeah, the, the chemical farming um, has got to stop. And uh, we, we are big proponents of organic regenerative farming. 
And we've done some shows on that. So our listeners can go check out the show with Gabe Brown. But there's there's so many other solutions out there that are so much better that are the answer, you know, one of the answers to how we're going to do this. It's not impossible, but it's going to take a lot of people getting on board with it. Well, I'm an agricultural writer and I speak to a lot of farmers all the way around the world, including in America, um, and they are very keen to go with regen, regenerative agriculture, which is minimal use of chemicals uh, and and a real emphasis on retaining your topsoil and on growing lots of, you know, a nice wild environment around the farm to keep the water clean, to prevent the dust from blowing, all of those sorts of things. Cover crops. Yeah. So, yeah. so all, all of those, it depends where you are as to what form Regen takes, but there is a conversation going on on social media worldwide at the moment about how you do Regen agriculture. That's one part of it. I wrote another book called Food or War, which actually looks at a, a clean, green future food supply. And the, the other arm of this is we really have to produce about half our food in our cities. And it's quite feasible to do that because... Cities have an enormous amount of nutrients, which they throw away. They either throw them in landfill or they put them down the sewer uh, and they can be recycled. All those nutrients can be recycled. And of course, cities throw away their water as well. Now, if you recycle urban water and, and nutrients and you pull out all the poisons, you can grow enormous quantities of food in cities. You know, yes. Maybe not enough to feed New York, but New York probably could feed, you know, at least half of its of, of its population, maybe more, just from urban farms and biocultures and those kinds of things, which are pretty much chemical free, in in the in the literal sense. Yeah, yeah. There there are lots of solutions, and one thing that is disturbing in in this country and I think abroad as well is that when these, um, for example, when these pesticides and herbicides and uh, insecticides are tested, they're only tested for their active ingredient. They're, they're not testing it in combination with the surfactants and adjuvants. Glyphosate is a great example of that. Seralini uh, did some testing in his group in France, and they tested uh, glyphosate-based herbicide Roundup, and they tested it with the adjuvants and surfactants, and it was a thousand times more toxic, is what he found. So we know glyphosate in and of itself is not a good thing, but when you mix it with the other things, it's it's highly toxic it's not just what you mix it with on the farm it's what you mix it with when you cook it or process it it's what you mix with when you eat it you know so the 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 problem of chemical mixtures let me put it this is this humans produce about three hundred and fifty thousand different chemicals and we used to think it was about 70 or 80,000, as you indicated, but it's not. It's a vast amount. Most of them have never been tested for human safety, right? Right. Chemical companies can't afford to do it, and they don't bother. They just put the chemical out there, and they wait for something to happen uh, in in a lot of cases. Um, You know, they'll they'll tell you that they're doing it. They'll tell you that they're poisoning the right number of monkeys and things like that with it. But in actual fact, it's not happening. 
And there is absolutely no research into what effect these things have on children, on growing children. So it's a very dangerous thing. So the issue of chemical mixtures is the sleeping giant in this whole debate. Because if you think of 350,000 chemicals to the power of 350,000, that's how many mixtures there are, you know, there are, there are billions, billions of chemical mixtures that you're being exposed to that you've got no idea about. So, you know, we've, we've released, unleashed an uncontrolled chemistry experiment on every person and every creature on the planet. And we're just seeing how many people it kills. And the answer is at the moment, it kills about 12 million people a year. And, well, and that's that, horrendous. That's, that's daunting. So... What's our solution for that? Well, our solution is to control these companies that are producing. And who are these companies? Well, the companies, the petrochemical companies, we we know who they are, uh, are are offspring or very close cousins of the oil and the coal industries, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, you ask parents, do you feed your children on coal and oil? And they'll all say, of course not. But they do, you know, those brightly coloured lollies in the in the in the in the in the sweet aisle at the supermarket or in the soft drinks those brightly colored soft drinks they're all full of chemicals that are made out of oil and coal right so parents are constantly feeding the problem all the way goes back to the oil and coal sector and gas sector and they are the people who produce the raw material they're also the people who are causing climate change so if we ban the, 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 those those fossil fuels to save ourselves from climate change, we will also automatically get rid of about two thirds of the poisons that we have surrounded ourselves in because they are the raw material that goes into the petrochemical company. So uh, the thing that causes basically a worldwide pandemic of cancer, which nobody likes to talk about now, but we used to think cancer was caused by your genes, right? Nobody thinks that any longer. The scientists are saying basically 10, 20% of cancers may be genetic in origin probably 80% of them are caused by something in our environment, our living environment, in our food, our water, our homes, our workplaces. So, you know, cancer is an unnecessary pandemic at the moment, um, and it's, it's utterly lethal. And guess what? What is the cure for cancer? Well, their answer is that there isn't one, but they can give you drugs that will delay your death. Those drugs are made from petrochemicals. So the same people who gave you the cancer are selling you the cure. So, I mean, it's a racket, basically. Yeah, you're right. And I I think that, uh, I personally think you could cure almost any disease. So I, I believe that you can find a way. But with with cancer, uh, I've read recently that it's only like 5% genetic. I mean, it's way less than we thought it was going to be. But you know, with with diet and lifestyle and a little bit more natural medicine, things that will do no harm. uh, I think that's the direction we need to go. But guess what the drug companies make a lot of money. Um, well, ca- perpetuating cancer. But it is possible to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more feasible. Try to remove from your environment all the things that we know are associated with causing breast cancer. I mean, once the cells have gone rogue and they're replicating in your body, 
the only thing between you and death is your immune system, right? So, all right, have a good diet and maintain the best immune system you possibly can. We do have these, as I say, we've got drugs, sophisticated poisons that you put into your body that very often are just as bad or worse than the actual disease in the first yes. place. Yes. Uh, they, all, they will all kill you uh, if you keep on taking them. Um, so, you know, they're, they're absolutely deadly in any case. And some of them even cause cancer, believe it or not, but different kinds. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've got ourselves on a, 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 you know, we're chasing our tails on this one. The answer is not to produce more drugs to cure cancer. The answer is to stop kids getting the things that cause can lead to cancer in middle and later life. Yeah. And that means a cleaner environment. It means clean air, clean water, clean food. Uh, if you do that, you will improve everybody's immune systems. Get people off this industrial diet, get them back on fresh food, those kinds of things. That's where the answer lies. And consumers sending that message out to the companies that deal in food. Now, we don't want your chemicalized junk. We want, you know, clean, wholesome, safe food. Yeah. Well, there's so much money to be made. Besides pesticide, there's 3,000 food additives, ingredients that are permitted in the U.S. And get this, the uh, Europe only has 400 allowable chemical food additives. And then there's preservatives, which, as we know, they're designed to kill bacteria and mold to keep our food from going bad. Back in the day of our grandparents, we used things like fermenting and canning and, and more natural ways of preserving, which um, didn't have side effects. And so we need to get back to some of those old ways. And you say in chapter four, uh, diabolical cocktails, you talk about that there are 16,500 different chemicals in our food chain today that were not a part of our grandparents' diet. I mean, that pretty much says it all. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a U.S. National Institutes of Health estimate. It's, it's quite an old one. I, I, I haven't been able to find a new figure because no one's really studying yeah. it. But it's not just the things that go into the agriculture or the things that go into the food processing part. It's also all those chemicals that are leaking out of the wrapping, the packaging. Even if you buy organic food these days, it often comes wrapped in cling film, doesn't it? You know, so yeah. there's, there's volatile organic compounds leaching out of that into your food, even with even with a lot of organic food these days. Yeah. Uh, so organic people, like farmers, need to make sure that their stuff is delivered uncontaminated and in paper bags, not not plastic ones, you know. Right. Uh, and, and encourage people to, well, if you can, grow your own food. Um, yeah. Go to your local farmer's market and don't use plastic bags when you go and just start there. Or you can, I'm, I'm a real proponent of trying to eat as local as you can, but I, I also realize that there are some food deserts. But um, so that's one of the solutions there is yeah. even if, we, if you you have a little patio you could start with some kind of tower gardening you know you can start somewhere yeah well well that's what i in food or war that's exactly what i discussed the very wide range of new food production methods that are being adopted whether it is just doing something on your balcony your apartment balcony or, or a back garden enterprise or, or uh, you know 
a restaurant that grows its own on the roof or a hospital that grows its own on the roof. Uh, I mean, these things are taking off worldwide now. There's, there's hundreds of them. And even people like Jeff Bezos are in this. They're, they're, they're looking at building vertical farms, you know, in every city in the world, you know, every major city. So, so this is really starting to go. If, if you had, um, you know, vertical farms all over America's cities, Europe cities and things like that, there wouldn't be food deserts. Okay, because the food would be available on your street. It would be grown on your street. You know, it, it wouldn't just be, it wouldn't come from 2000 miles away in, in Kansas or somewhere. It, it, would, it would, most of the food would be grown here. Now. There's no need to transport food around the world the way we do. All right, you might want to transport a French cheese just to get that special flavor. But for the basic daily diet, it can all be grown locally. And it will have to be. Why? Because agriculture is going to take a terrible hit from climate, from loss of water, and from loss of topsoil. Those things are going to reduce world food production from agriculture by about half by the latter part of this century. So we're going to have to grow food by different methods in different places. And growing food in, in urban locations is, is one of the ways to do this. Yeah. And people, you know, have put so much emphasis on, on their lawns and how it looks, including using toxic chemicals on their property, which is bad for human health, animals, and so much more. You know, if we could just get back to our priorities of, we have to, everybody has to eat. We have, we all have to eat to survive. And if we can figure out how to ingest cleaner food, we're going to live longer, we're, our quality of life is going to be better, and we can solve part of that problem. But it's going to take some letting go of the old habits, so to speak. We're used to doing these things with our lawn and, and not really thinking about it. And one of the things that I want to talk about, is you have a section on perfumes and scented products, and that may be something that people don't really think about. Uh, I notice uh, I'm sensitive to that. So if I go into somebody's home and there's like a strong candle or something, I try to get out of there as quickly as possible. So could you talk a little bit about the kind of the hidden dangers and the perfumes? Yeah, well, well, perfumes are, are not natural scents made from flowers and things uh, like in the old days. They're made from petroleum <laughs> and coal and stuff like that now. And they are volatile organic compounds or VOCs. So they're producing toxic vapors in the same way that the plastic in your vehicle produces toxic vapors on a hot sunny day. <clears throat> so, you know, all of these things are emitting these things and they're not good for you. A lot of them are known to be carcinogens, um, but many of them uh, just have never been studied. So we don't really know. But basically, if you wear perfume, you're committing an assault on somebody in the same way as, as if you were punching them in the nose, because, you know, you're doing it to please yourself and maybe to smell nice to them. But, but that chemical may be offensive to them. Uh, and it, it, it may be bad for their health. It may cause them to have asthma or a breathing problem. You know, so I, I think you'll find that in time to come, uh, a lot of these high scented things, you know, scented soaps, scented shampoos, uh, scented chemicals that we use to spray the toilet and things like that, all of these things are gradually going to go out because they're, they're dangerous, yeah. frankly. 
um, and, and we are surrounded by so many of them. And there is so much thoughtless use of them, and especially cheap cosmetics um, and cheap personal care products, the ones you get in those, those super value chemist, chemist warehouses, uh, you know, uh, that's, they're very dangerous, really. And they shouldn't, they shouldn't be allowed, but they've never been tested, you know. I mean, if you were working in a factory, they would test a lot of the air around you to see whether it was poisonous or not. But if you work <laughs> with a lot of perfumes, they don't do that. Yeah. You know, they just haven't looked. So yeah. we, we've really got to, you know, clean up our act in, in so many ways. We've been seduced by chemistry. Yeah, um, people are making money out of out of producing poisons, basically. And some of those uh, cosmetics you were just talking about, some of those cheaper ones. I mean, look at who they're targeting: um, teenagers, yeah, who and, don't and have a lot of money to spend on, and they think they're getting a really good deal, but it's really it's not a good deal. They're poisoning the hormone. The, the hormone disrupting chemicals, in particular, are having a vicious right. effect. We've seen already around the world, but particularly in Western countries where there is heavy chemical use, a 60% decline in male sperm production, right? That's a very obvious. Now, we don't know what the exact explanation of that is now, but 60%, for heaven's sake, you know, that's every man producing, you know, 150 million less sperm, you know. Um, so something is going on that is affecting our, our breeding, our reproductive capacity. The same thing is happening with, with women. Young women are getting very confused about their gender sometimes, and they're also suffering all kinds of effects. Because of course, yes, they do apply these chemicals when they are you know, adolescents, they want to be attractive to the opposite sex and, and so on. And they think that makes them attractive. Um, or they, or they, put it this way, they've been told by marketing, by clever marketers, that it makes them attractive. It, it doesn't. It makes them repulsive. But, you know, the, the, uh, the, the effect is, the dangerous effect is, it, young women, when they're maturing sexually, are very susceptible to these kinds of hormone-disrupting chemicals. Yes. You know, it can affect their future fertility as, uh, you know, to, to be mothers, their ability to be mothers, uh, and so forth. Uh, and, and other things, as, as well as our reproductive health. So, you know, we want to stop doing this to ourselves. We, we really do, because we are screwing up the animal that we, that we are. You know, as far as endocrine disruptors, I know that I'm very concerned about glyphosate. And I think that it is, there have been some studies done regarding how it mimics uh, certain estrogens and stuff in the body and at very, very minute levels, well below the allowable, the allowable levels should be zero. And unfortunately, our levels, allowable levels of glyphosate in this country are the highest of yeah. anywhere. But those endocrine disruptors, the male infertility is really on the rise in this country and female. So uh, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but I think it is a big part of it. And that we need to continue to do more studies so that we can get this stuff banned, you know, much like DDT was. Yeah. PCBs are supposed to be. Well, one of the, the, the ones that concerns me the most is, is probably the, the nerve poisons. Now, a nerve poison is a chemical that attacks particularly the brain 
and and the nerve stem of your body and you know we we know about nerve gases like sarin and so forth that were produced specifically to kill people during during wars um but basically industry produces a hell of a lot of these things we know about two or three hundred of them so far but there's probably many many thousands of them and they are in our environment everywhere they're probably coming out of your sofa when you breathe and sit on it they're the the flame retardant chemicals which are being found everywhere including in babies in the womb and in their mother's milk and etc etc now if you poison the brain of a young and growing child at the age of two, three, four years old, that child will probably have an IQ about three or four points less yep. than its yep. natural potential, right? So in the case of somebody who would have been 100, they're down to 96, which means they're heading for criminal territory. Um, you know, Now, if we're poisoning the brains, and we know we're lowering the human IQ, there have been seven major studies done around the world showing that human IQ is falling at a rate of about three points per decade. Right now, if that applies to the whole human race, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about a generation that's going to be a quarter dumber than the World War II generation by 2050. <clears throat> what, what is the consequence of that? The consequence of that is you get more stupid results in democracies. People can't think properly, so they vote. No critical thinking. No critical, no ability to analyze, no ability to understand the real issues, clutching onto all sorts of fabricated nonsense. Uh, you know, that's been put out there by clever marketing companies. <clears throat> so, so you actually destroy democracy. You destroy human intelligence. People can't take advantage of education. You may have a wonderful education system, uh, which you do in the United States, but if people haven't got the brains to absorb it, you know, it's wasted. So and this is what's happening. The, the, the intelligence of the human species is starting to fall. And that's a very alarming thing because this is it's our intelligence that has kept us going for the last million and a half years mm -hmm. since we invented, we discovered fire, the use of fire. You know, we, we have supported ourselves and, and thought our way through all the difficulties. We've anticipated our troubles and we've taken action in time to prevent ourselves going extinct. We've done that for a million and a half years. Now it's all coming unglued. We're now reaching a stage where the human species may be too stupid to save itself. That is the alarming thing for me. That is the most alarming thing. Plus, you've got this little industry, cottage industry of people circulating absolute nonsense, you know, to, to appeal to people who can't think for themselves. You know, the, the, uh, the Murdoch uh, Sky News sort of people. <clears throat> so the danger is that we're, we're polluting and contaminating our brains and we're then adding to that with utter, utter nonsense, worthless rubbish. Um, and that means you have a society that can't think or decide any longer what is good for it. And that really is a very alarming situation. We've got to fix this now. Okay, let's fix it. Let's talk about, let's talk about some solutions. I'd like to leave our listeners with some, some solutions that they can do now. To make a difference? Well, everybody can start to educate themselves about what is in their food and their clothing and all of the stuff that they buy for their house, basically. You know, it, all right, it takes a little bit of homework, but there's more and more of this stuff being made available. So if we, we talked about EWG before, if you want to find out the dirty dozen, what are the 12 fruits and vegetables that are really bad for you because they're full of pesticide? 
And they've also got the clean 15. What are the 15 fruits and vegetables that have minimal uh, pesticide in them? So, you know, you can get information like that on the internet now. As I say, Breast Cancer Foundation and many others, Greenpeace, you know, all sorts of organizations are providing. My organization, that's exactly what we do. We educate about what's in our food. Absolutely. Well, it's, it, it's, it's difficult to obtain for the individual who may not have a degree in chemistry or something like that. But there are, there are skilled and well-intentioned people making it available. So social media... Is, is the key to this, go on social media and start following some of the people who advocate for clean food, a clean home. Moms Across things. America, GMO Free USA, Food Integrity Now. There's, there's lots They're of probably, organizations that yeah. can, so, can so assist. Do, do not despair. I, I think it is only a matter of time before somebody produces an app you know, where you can walk into the supermarket and scan stuff and it will tell you whether it's toxic or not, you know, yeah. based on... I think it's in the works. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I, I've heard several people say they're working on it. So, so it, you know, we're, we're not far away from, from knowing the yes-no answer uh, to should I eat that can of baked beans or that can of baked beans, you know. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot that can be done, but pay attention to your health. Think about, you know, I find men are the ones who are hardest to educate here. Men love to use pesticides and, you know, they love to use guns and, and stuff like that. Women tend to think about how is this going to affect the children or the grandchildren. So men have this very short term view. I will use the, the, the chemical as long as it kills the pest. I don't care what happens to my kids. Now, that's the male attitude. Uh, the female attitude is I do care what happens to my kids yeah. and I'd rather not have that thing in my environment. Thank you yeah. very much. I agree. It's the moms that are going to make the big difference. Well, interesting fact. You know, the world chemistry industry is led by men and the fight back against poisonous chemicals is led by women. Yes. Right? This yes. is a real gender divide that is going on around the planet now. And women are calling the shots. Very often they're in charge of household budgets. So they're saying where the money goes. Right. I, my daughter has got a science degree. She has two daughters. Her house is as chemical free as you could possibly get in this modern age. You know, and I get a lecture for some of the things that I do occasionally. You should be using vinegar to clean the, the bench top, Dad, you know. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, it's... Uh, uh, you know, but young women are thinking this way now, and the word is out there on on social media, and on social media it spreads at the speed of light. Yes, and it, it is shared. So Americans are sharing their knowledge and their experiences with Australians, with Canadians, with people in Madagascar, with people in Italy and and uh, France. You know, so this stuff is flying around the world now. So there's a huge huge act of sharing of knowledge. And, and what we're seeing now, basically, there's a revolution going on. If we talk about food for just a second, renewable food, the renewable food revolution is spreading around the world like the renewable energy did 10 or 15 years ago, all right? So there's a new revolution coming. It's bigger than renewable energy. It's going to be more profitable. It's going to create more jobs. It's going to be more exciting for the human palate and for the cooks and chefs, you know, renewable food is going to be bigger than Ben-Hur. So, you know, that's an example of, and, and, and it's purely spreading on the internet, you know, and on social media. 
the idea of renewable food, which starts with regenerative farming and, and sustainable urban food production and so forth. Yeah. So you know, these ideas, this is one of the solutions. The ideas can flow from human to human around the planet at the speed of light. Now, as fast as your internet fiber cable can carry the damn things. So, so, you know, there really is something very interesting happening with our species at the moment. We are learning to think as a species for the first time in our history. I mean, we came out of Africa, you know, a few hundred thousand years ago and we spread out everywhere and we all spoke different languages and lived in different cultures. For the first time ever, we are now starting to talk the same language of human safety and human well-being. And, you know, and these ideas are catching on in all cultures. You know, the cultures are artificial. You must understand that. Cultures are just a, a, a blip in history. Yep. Bottom line is we're all human. We're <laughs> all we, humans. <laughs> we share the same things. So, you know, as I say, this is a very big moment for the exchange of ideas and solutions. But if I could talk about some of the other things that we have to do to get to clean up the planet, um, I think we need a right not to be poisoned, a human right not to be poisoned, because that is the human right that was enjoyed by every single one of our grandparents going back all through time, as far back as you can see. They didn't live in a filthy, polluted, toxic environment like we do today. OK, this is something that has come on us since World War II and especially since the mid-1970s, when the chemical industry just took off, okay? This avalanche of chemistry is a relatively recent thing. It's been going for only one and a half generations, okay? Before that, everyone lived free of these poisons. So we need a right not to be poisoned. We all actually have a right not to be tortured, and that protects everybody on Earth. Um, but presumably only a few people are being tortured right at this moment but we are all being poisoned right at this moment. Every single one of us, every one of the 8 billion humans is in ingesting or inhaling a poison at this moment. So, you know, we, have, we need a, that right just to put it up in, 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 a headline, in headlines. You know, there is poison all about us. We have to get rid of the stuff. So we need it for awareness. We need it to be able to chase those companies that refuse to change their ways. We need it as a signal to consumers, to governments, to corporations. Uh, you know, we need it as a signal to chemists to stop inventing bad stuff and start inventing good stuff. You know, so we need to do all of those things. But as we shift consumer sentiment on this, uh, we will also shift the weight of economic pressure. Governments can't control chemistry corporations. They're far too large. Talking about a $7 trillion industry here, it's bigger than almost any government in the world. So, so the people who can control it are the people who pay it, and that's you and me. Consumers have the ultimate power, even over gigantic corporations, to say to them, change your product or change your process, because we do not want our children and our grandchildren to be poisoned by it. And, you know, that is the most powerful way of influencing them. Governments are not going to influence them. Governments, particularly, say, in the US, have given up trying. Basically, regulation of chemicals in the US is designed to, to benefit the corporations, not the consumers. Yep. A um, bit different in, in Europe, but even so, Europe is only a small part of the world. So, you know, uh, it, it's got to be us. And it's got to be us, 
the citizens of the world who do this. It's got to happen in China. It's got to happen in India. It's got to happen in Africa as well as um, in the developed world. So, uh, you know, it, it's a big ask. But, you know, as I say, for the first time, we're communicating with one another around the planet. And, and that communication means we are evolving as a species. We're starting to think as a species, to learn as a species, to share knowledge and wisdom as a species. And that's a very exciting and hopeful moment. I mean, so in solving this chemical problem, we can solve all the other major catastrophic threats that are now facing. There's 10 of them, right? Chemistry is just one. Climate is just one. Yeah. Extinction is just one. But we can solve all of these problems by roughly the same methods uh, that, that I'm describing in this book. Well, this has been really great. So thank you, Julian, for being our guest on Food Integrity Now. The book, book is Earth Detox, and it's available everywhere. Yeah, um, certainly on Amazon and, and uh, online booksellers, uh, Cambridge University Press directly, and so on. And again, there's this mistaken notion by some that if they don't know, it can't hurt them. And that's not true. The more you understand and know, the more power you have to make wise choices based on what you know. And that's what we need right now, critical thinking and wise choices that are for your health and the health of the planet. Thanks to our listeners, and let's let's do this. Get the book. Start there. And I know we can do this. Well, thank you again, Julian, for being our guest today. This was an amazing interview, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you very much, Carol.